Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I'm your host, Marsha Brownlee. We are very excited to present an Artemis podcast series on inspiring women's leadership and conservation. There are a number of reasons why inclusive conservation leadership is vital to the future of our hunting and fishing heritage. Our lands, waters, and wildlife face significant conservation challenges. Working towards effective solutions must draw on the creativity, expertise, and experience of conservation leadership that includes perspectives from all identities and backgrounds. This leadership series will introduce you to dedicated and inspirational women working in all aspects of conservation leadership. We aim to provide insight into their journey and the work that they do. In the end, we aim to inspire you to step into leadership yourself. Together, we will support the next chapter in conservation and help women ascend into local, state, regional, and national conservation leadership roles. In February, Artemis hosted a leadership training to engage and support women who are interested in learning more about serving in volunteer leadership roles. A part of that training included a panel called Yes, You Do Have What It Takes. This panel featured leaders discussing important foundational skills for effective leadership and their own experience as leaders. We present this panel to you here on our podcast, an introduction to our series, Inspiring Women Leaders in Conservation. We hope you enjoy. We are going to dive right in um, to part three. Yes, you do have what it takes. Uh, and we have um, another amazing panel for this session, uh, which is going to be facilitated by Bree Jones-Rich. Uh, I'm so grateful that she is here uh, to facilitate this and I'm really excited for a great conversation. Uh, a brief introduction, Bree uh, grew up in Wyoming's wide open spaces and currently calls the New York Catskills home. She is a board member for the National Wildlife Federation and previously served on the boards of the Florida and Wyoming Wildlife Federations. Uh, Bree received a BA in International Studies and Political Science from the University of Wyoming and a Juris Doctor from the uh, University of Michigan Law School. Go Wolverines. She works as an attorney in New York City and in her spare time you'll find Bree uh, hiking, skiing, kayaking, fishing, and dabbling in photography. Uh, she takes every opportunity to travel the world. Bree, thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited your flight landed on time and everything went smoothly. Um, I'm going to hand it over to you. The Zoom room is yours. Marcia, thank you so much for that very generous introduction. You made me blush. Um, and I'm so happy to join you all today from uh, the Nashville airport. So if there's any background noise, please excuse me. Um, this is such an exciting panel to be asked to be a part of. So um, I just want to first extend my gratitude to all the amazing women and um, share how excited I, I am for this conversation today. Um, we're going to just start out with some brief introductions of our panel, let um, them have the opportunity to introduce themselves to you, and then we'll get right into the questions. Um, so if I could just ask Jana, um, if you wouldn't mind starting out and introducing yourself. Sure, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I'm Jana Waller. I am a um, TV host and producer. I had a show Skullbound on the Sportsman's Channel for nine years. I now took my show digital um, on Carbon TV. It's called Skullbound Chronicles. It's a hunting show 
um, featuring a lot of emphasis on conservation. Um, and I'm also a newly appointed Montana Wildlife Commissioner. So that's only been about four months, but uh, looking forward to the challenges ahead. I'm super involved in conservation and have been my whole life. I'm a lifetime member of National Wild Turkey Federation, Mule Deer Foundation, um, Safari Club International, Sportsman's Alliance, and, and numerous other annual groups. But it's a true passion of mine. And, and I just believe hunters are the greatest conservationists on the planet. And I'm just really happy to be a part of this panel. And I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Lily, go next, introduce yourself. Thanks, Jana. I'm Lily Wong. Um, I got into hunting about three years ago when I wanted a closer connection to um, the food and the wilderness. Um, and I am a board member at Conservation Northwest. Um, I actually joined the board after realizing the importance of, you know, protecting wildlife and their habits, uh, which is the exact mission of Conservation Northwest. Um, and for my day job, I'm a marketer at a software company in Seattle. Um, I'm so excited to be here today and um, appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, and I'll pass it off to Gloria. Hi, good morning. Um, thank you for joining us this morning and thank you, Lily. Um, I'm Gloria Tom. I'm the director for the Navajo Nation's Department of Fish and Wildlife here in Arizona. Um, I'm a member of the Dene Nation, also known as the Navajo Nation. And we're located here in the Four Corners area. Uh, we have lands in uh, Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah. I'm very glad to be here this morning and I'll hand it over to Kathy. Thanks, Gloria. I'm Kathy Hadley, and I live on a small ranch in southwest Montana, about 12 miles from any town. I also live in the homeland of the Salish Kootenai. I am a lifelong hunter and angler. Um, I retired a couple of years ago, leading a national nonprofit as their executive director for 20 years. I sit on the board of the Montana Wildlife Federation and the National Wildlife Federation. And I'm the state co-lead for uh, Artemis in Montana. And I think this is gonna be a great panel today. I'm looking forward to it. And I so appreciate being invited. So I think I'll call on Michelle. Great, thanks everyone. Um, I too, I'm just thrilled to be here. I think this is a, an amazing opportunity and Artemis just does such wonderful, wonderful programming and wonderful work. So Marsha, thank you. Um, my name is Michelle Zimmerman. I um, was on the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission, uh, was chair of the commission in my last year. I served two terms, so eight years, and I termed out in June of 2020. Um, and so I, I took a, about a year off of board and, and commission service, and I recently joined the International Mountain Bicycling Association Board of Directors. So my passion clearly lies in um, natural resource management and protection and where recreation crosses that into conservation. Um, and so of course, hunting, fishing, that is recreation. It is also stewardship and conservation. Um, I started hunting through being on the commission. I was a uh, sitting sitting at the, at the table, making decisions on um, a sport that I didn't know anything about. And, and so fortunately through uh, the, my amazing colleagues on the commission and in the agency, I was able to, um, to go out and, and learn about the sport. Uh, and, and I um, will be a lifelong hunter. Um, my day job is I'm a solar, uh, large solar uh, photovoltaic project developer. 
um, that, that pays the bills so I can keep working on boards and, and commissions to support recreation and conservation. I think that's everyone. Do I pass back to you, Bree? Yeah, thank you so Great. much, Michelle. And as you can see, we have an amazing panel today with a lot of diverse experience. Um, so my first question this morning is for Lily, and um, I'd love to hear what um, you expected or what you thought board service was going to be like when you first started and um, how your expectations aligned with reality. Thanks, Bree. Um, so I joined the Board of Conservation Northwest only about two years ago. It was my first time like serving on a board ever. So, and I'm also in my thirties to give a little bit more background on me. And I'm also trying to grow my career as a marketer. Um, so I was really worried about, you know, the commitment and I didn't want to be like a bad board member. Um, so before joining, I had like many conversations with various like board members to just really get the vibe for the people and understand what the board dynamics are um, and really get a sense for where I'd fit in the best. And at that point, Conservation Northwest was looking for members to join the finance committee, which was, you know, worked well for me because I, I also have a finance background. Um, and they were also looking for um, someone of a different demographic to join the board to give a broader perspective. Um, and I kind of see that as a wave coming, you know, with like trying to include more women in conservation. Um, so, so I think that that's, you know, really exciting to be a part of. Um, so after really enjoying my conversations about, you know, with the people and, you know, finally being like formally a board member. I just remember as part of onboarding, um, one of the first things I was given was a series of like dates and times for meetings. And they were each over three hours long um, every other month. And I remember thinking, I'm so over Zoom, this is going to be a slog. Um, but after each meeting, I felt so inspired to be part of the mission um, and really enjoyed bonding with folks that have similar interests. So now I look forward to, you know, the board meetings, team building events and learning from, um, of fellow board members and also the staff um, and really hearing from them what's happening on the ground. Um, so now in addition to the finance committee, I'm also on the fundraising committee. And I think the reality is, is that board service is what you make of it, right? You can get as involved as you want or, you know, or not. <laughs> um, and I do find that it's super fulfilling to me to be a part of the conservation movement and to really like provide my input, you know, as a young woman recently getting into hunting. A lot of what you said really rings true for me too, Lily, and my experience on boards. Um, would anyone else like to jump in and um, and share uh, off of Lily's thoughts, or um, does anyone else have anything they'd like to say on this topic? Yes, Kathy. Sorry, I didn't see your hand. That's okay. Um, I really appreciated Lily's story. Um, it just made me smile and to think, it helped me to think back to when I first got on the Montana Wildlife Federation board. It was decades ago. And um, I, I entered the board and I was intimidated at first. And the board was made up of all guys. And it was like 25 guys and me, and I had no idea how they were going to deal with me or how I'd fit in. And um, I spent a lot of time listening and learning and watching the culture of the board. And I have to tell you that I was so impressed with how welcoming the board was to me. I was surprised by it too, actually. And I never felt intimidated after the first couple meetings of uh, 
raising my hand to make a point or to volunteer for a committee. And I don't know if any of you have had that same experience of entering a board that's entirely men. And if you did, what your perspectives were on that. It's, it was just interesting to me and, um, and I was glad I did it. I, I decided I'm not gonna be intimidated by this. Women can do these things. We just have to be given a chance, so. Well, I just have to jump in and say, when I joined the Wyoming Wildlife Federation board, I also was the only woman and I was also the only person in my twenties and maybe the only person that was like sub 45 at that time, um, or maybe sub 50. And uh, one of the guys asked me, well, can you even shoot a gun? <laughs> and um, so that was my experience and uh, I could, of course. So I was able to, I guess, pass that rite of passage, but, um, those that really rings true, Kathy. Um, Michelle? Yeah, I I agree. I want to add, you know, I, when I joined the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission, I was one of two women. So there was already, uh, you know, at least I had I had a pal. Um, but but I will say that it is when you apply um, when you apply your perspective and yes, everyone, I agree, everyone has been very welcoming, but the generally speaking, they want to know your unique perspective. That, that's why you've been invited to be on a board and you bring a perspective to the table that is um, that is perhaps different and maybe not, maybe you, you agree with everything and that's also a good perspective to, to know that, oh, okay, we have agreement across the board, uh, but it's a, um, you're there for a reason, you're there for a purpose and it's not just to be a token female, it's to contribute to the conversation and to the decisions being made. Thank you for that. Um, I'm gonna move on to our next question, um, which is for Gloria. Uh, what is the skill you think is the most important to be an effective board member and how did you gain the skill or hone it? Okay, thank you, Bree. Um, <clears throat> in my introduction, I failed to mention that I am a member of the Board of Directors for the National Wildlife Federation and have been for approximately three to four years, I believe. And um, when I, I, I was way back in my early career, um, I was a member of the um, Board of Directors for the Native American Fish and Wildlife Society. I was representing the um, Southwest region of the society. And the society is a, a consortium of uh, tribal uh, fish and game, fish and wildlife agencies across the country. And at that time, we also had membership from Canada. Um, and, I, and I had to look at, compare the two um, uh, uh, appointments, I guess, um, starting out with my early career, I was, I was so green. Um, you know, I really didn't know um, the, the scope of my authority. I, I really had to learn a lot about the issues. And, and one of the things that I really had to do was kind of step out of my role with my tribe and, and look at it from a more general perspective and um, try, to, try to present um, uh, the perceptions and the observations and the recommendations for all tribes and not just the Navajo Nation, which is very difficult. Um, 
and I think that's one of the things that um, um, is is in response to the question is that you, you have to you have to kind of step out of your role in in which you play and and try to provide a much broader um, perspective on um, um, ideas, issues, etc. And um, with the National Wildlife Federation, kind of a similar uh, role in terms of presenting the tribal perspective. Um, there's been a lot of uh, uh, changes in the way tribes are um, uh, brought to the table now in comparison to way back in the 80s when I served on the other board. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot more focus on and a lot more recognition of tribal conservation efforts. Um, you know, before it was primarily just with states and the feds and, um, and, and a lot of people nowadays are beginning to realize that tribes pay, play such a monumental role in conservation across the country. And, um, but we're still, you know, we're still far behind in terms of the funding levels. Um, we're not, you know, um, privy to a lot of the funding that states get for wildlife conservation. And we're trying to change that. But on my role in, in, in the National Wildlife Federation Board, um, I, I see myself as, as, as being uh, uh, providing an indigenous perspective in terms of um, the science, in terms of the cultural importance of, of conservation. Um, you know, tr tribal indigenous people are, are really um, different in terms of how we approach management of natural resources because it's our daily life. We live it every day. We rely on wildlife species for traditional and cultural purposes. And it's part of our prayers. It's part of our, our everyday life as an indigenous person. And a lot of times, you know, the, the, the other memberships on the board um, probably don't have that um, uh, perspective or can't understand that perspective. And so I see it as a responsibility on my part to try to present that. Um, and that's what drives me every day, you know, is, is my, my access, my family's access, my relatives' access to these resources, because that's who we are as a people. And, um, and I have to kind of step back as being uh, the director for the Navajo Nation's Fish and Wildlife Department and kind of step back and look at it from an overall tribal perspective and there's a there's a lot of different perspectives out there amongst tribes and so it's really um, um, uh, kind of a in a sense kind of walking a real thin line because I don't want to step off that line and say something or present something that might not be appropriate for somebody else in another in another part of the country and um, so you know I think the just ha having that understanding that you know, where you're coming from, and, and then at the same time, understanding other um, tribal perspectives and other tribal, uh, 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 the way people view um, these natural resources as part of their everyday lives. It's, it's, it, it can be difficult, but it's something that you have to really um, stay focused on when you're talking about 
uh, tribal perspectives in, in conservation. I hope I didn't confuse everybody. <laughs> no, thank you so much for sharing that, Gloria. And there's, there was so much wisdom and really helpful points um, in, in your response. Uh, did anyone else wanna jump in? Jana. Um, I love what you had to say. I can, I can, as a Montana Wildlife Commissioner, I can so relate to exactly what you were saying in terms of where I come from as a public land Montana hunter, uh, lifelong big game hunter. Um, but in my role as commissioner, there's so many different, different special interest groups that have different perspectives and, um, like you, it can be a real fine line. You, you know, you have, you know, um, people and there's not necessarily a right or a wrong. It's just different perspectives. There are people who want big bulls and big bucks and maybe a once every three or four year opportunity. And then there's people who know they want the opportunity. They don't care about the size of the animals. Um, you have predator issues that have so many different sides and it's not necessarily right or wrong. And, and like Gloria was saying, I have to really, I come from my personal perspective, but I've, I've tried really hard in this role to listen to the other perspectives. And there's often times where we have to just agree to disagree. And, um, but I really love what Gloria had to say, because I think that's really important for all of us on a role, on a in our roles, whether it be a board or a commission, or even your, you know, local conservation group, you know, that I belong to so many of them. It's really important. I think culturally, we can we kind of are often stepping away from the agree to disagree um, atmosphere. Um, but I think it's critical in terms of leadership roles to be able to be a good listener, even if you disagree with something, to be a really good listener, to take those perspectives in. There have been a lot of nights where I go back home and I'm like, I never really, I never really thought about it like that. Or I, I, I didn't even realize that opposing perspective was out there. I thought everybody thought what I thought. Or, but uh, I'm just echoing what Gloria said and in, in trying to, you know, uh, walk a thin line or just be be so aware of all the perspectives before making decisions. Such excellent points. Um, does anyone else want to jump in before I move to the next question? Okay, well, with that, and I think this is a nice segue, um, I, I and I think many women often struggle with imposter syndrome. And um, Jana, can you share a time that you felt in over your head and how you handled or overcame it? Well, that could be right now. Um, <laughs> I am, I, well, not right now, not today. I, I'm, uh, I am newly appointed by the governor of Montana to the Mon Montana Wildlife, um, the commission Fish for fishing game. And that commit, the, the commission overlooks everything, anything to do with fish, wildlife, and parks, you know, from setting quotas to regulations on hunting and fishing to uh, river access issues, land acquisitions, just so much. And I've only been in it about four months. And so um, I, I wouldn't use the phrase imposter syndrome because it has such a negative connotation, but definitely over my head at times and definitely drowning in, um, the issues. There's so many issues going on right now. And every big game species has an issue right now in Montana, whether it's wolves or um, right now we're dealing with setting lion quotas for next year. And it's very, people are very passionate about that. Um, 
I, I feel over my head sometimes, but what's comforting is that I feel for me personally, the best approach is just honesty. I just got an email this morning from someone and I, I really wasn't, I'm not sure how to answer that. And so what I do, I've tried to do is just surround myself with really good quality people and to be real honest and say, I don't really know the answer to that, or I don't have the perspective you're looking for, but let me dive a little deeper into this issue and, and uh, I'll get back to you next week. And I feel really comfortable in all the roles I've ever had in my life of just being really honest. I feel like we all have an energy about ourselves. And if we try to like act like know-it-alls and, and act like we're just, you know, schooled on everything, you're going to get called out anyway. You might as well say, maybe I should be, but I'm not really aware of what's going on or all the caveats to that issue. Let me get back to you. And, you know, I've, I've got great people within region two's office, the managers, the biologists, I go to them. I go to some other people I know that were previous commissioners and say, what was your take on this? Or, you know, just to be able to understand an issue and research the issue before spouting off an answer or even saying, well, that's, that's really not my department. You know, I always wanna try to help in every way that I can. It can get really overwhelming because of all the topics going on right now and the amount of emails and phone calls that we all get right now. But I feel like the best approach to that imposter syndrome feeling is realize you're in this role for a reason. Most boards and commissions, they're either appointed or you get voted on or someone said, hey, you'd be great at that. And remember that you do contribute a lot, even if it's a newer perspective, newer hunters, you know, newer into conservation issues. I still feel like it's important. We all have a voice and to be able to project uh, the idea that I might not know everything, but I'm going to help you find the answers and let's discuss it. And if we have to, at the end of it all, agree to disagree, so be it. So that's, that's sort of my approach. Uh, and I think we need to recognize too, that we all get in moments where we feel drowning or maybe drowning, or maybe not, not as schooled on this topic as we should be, but the answers usually are typically one or two phone calls away and, or to even just intervene. I've also often handed off something and said, I'm not, I'm not really schooled on that as well as maybe my um, sheep biologist is, why don't you speak with her? And then they carry the conversation. So anyway, that's, that's my perspective. Michelle, you want to jump in? I was just wiggling in my seat, Jana, you're so inspiring um, in, in how you present uh information it's just it's it's great thank you so much um i just want to add that and and like you you know echo echo everything you've said but it, one of the things that i found is you know if you're on a 10 person board or a 20 person board how do you be most effective especially you know lily you mentioned 3 hour meetings and and jana you've experienced our you know commission meetings are 2 days long you know 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day each of meetings agendas are 50 thick topics long. And I think it's important to remember that you don't have to be the expert on all 50 agenda items. And it's what I found um, is that when I was able to pick the two or three specific areas that I knew best. So, you know, cross of, for me specifically, it was, you know, the crossover between recreation, non-sports, non-hunting and fishing recreation, um, it was land land conservation because I have a, a big um, land protection, land conservation background and, you know, a couple other things. And what I found is everyone else had their, you know, I we had um, some outfitters that they, of course, knew our the quota and resident non-resident information just inside and out. 
And as you start to, you, you don't have to speak on every single topic that comes up, but as you start to continually speak on the things that you either are most passionate about, or maybe you know the most about, maybe you're a, maybe you know finance really well. And so you're always going to speak on the budget item. Um, others on the board learn to go to you when a top, when that specific topic comes up, when it's budget time, it's, oh, hey, we got to, you know, make sure commissioner so-and-so or, or, you know, board member so-and-so gets to speak on that item. So I just think on the, um, you know, on the imposter syndrome thing, find the one or two things on the agenda that you're either most passionate about and you're excited to, to do the research and, and dive deep and become more informed or that you're already just a natural at and, um, and really just become the, the go-to, the look-to uh, on, that, on that one topic area. Kathy, please jump in. Yeah, um, I guess I think that um, I find a lot of commonality between Jana's experience and Michelle's and my past experiences. Um, some time ago, I was appointed by the governor um, to a regional nonprofit. It was the Northwest Energy Efficiency Alliance, and it represented Montana, Idaho, um, Washington, and Oregon. And um, it represented 12 million people, and it dealt with energy issues. And the board was made up of 99% utility executives fellows. And they spoke their own language. I mean, energy stuff is pretty complex. And I was one of two people representing quote unquote public interest. But in my day job, I was doing energy efficiency, conservation and renewable energy work. So I had some knowledge and uh, it was pretty intimidating. But what I decided I'd do is I'd come to every board meeting prepared. I'd read everything I could beforehand. And that um, I volunteered for a couple committees and tried to form somebody's relationship on the board so I could learn from these people about what was important and what wasn't. And I really didn't speak up too much unless it was on, as uh, Michelle mentioned, the topics that I felt really comfortable with in my head. Um, I spent the whole first year listening and learning, I'll say that, and um, it was a great learning experience for me, and by year two, I felt totally comfortable. I just thought I'd share. Thanks. Lily, Gloria, do either of you want to jump in before we... I just wanted to give you space too, if you wanted to, um, because you hadn't spoken on that one. But I also just want to reiterate um, how much the, those um, piece of it, pieces of advice really ring true for me too, um, and how much I have leaned on um, my fellow board members and learned from them as I um, have had my own um, journey as serving on boards. And I learned from Gloria and Kathy, who I serve with, but also many other board members, and um, it it has been one of the best experiences for me and the best way that I've learned is from all of the other people that I serve with. Lily, did you wanna? Yeah, and I will say that like, um, like echoing, you know, what everyone else has kind of said about like understanding what your own strengths and weaknesses are in terms of like your knowledge and your knowledge gaps. <clears throat> because I think with imposter syndrome comes with self-awareness, right? Knowing what you know and what, knowing what you don't know. Um, and I will say that like, you know, when I go into like any meeting at work, no one ever says to me, wow, you have executive presence. I'm gonna, you know, literally like, you know what you're talking about. 
or even when I go to the shooting range, you know, people just assume I don't know how to shoot my gun. I don't know how to operate it, you know? And so like, I think that as women, we, we just have a superpower in being able to juggle things, get things done on the home front, on our career front, all the things. And they just have faith in ourselves, you know, and just have that confidence. I just keep shaking my head. Thank you for that. Um, unless anyone else has anything to um, add, I'll uh, pose our next question to Michelle um, about where the most growth has happened for you personally or professionally through your service. Great. Um, I think the the thing I've learned the most, well, I've learned a lot, <laughs> but, uh, but one is that doing it all isn't everything. You know, I had a, um, a, a lot of, you know, as, as you've mentioned, Bree, I've had a, a lot of time where I was the youngest on a board or a commission, the only one who was still working full time. And I was pursuing other boards and commissions and volunteer opportunities or, you know, recreation opportunities um, and trying to just fit everything in and saying yes to everything. And, and what I've learned is that doing it all does, isn't everything, but finding what gives you personal fulfillment and professional fulfillment is key. It's really important. And so if that means you've got to, you know, do it all for a little while so you can dip your toes in a lot of different ponds to figure out which one, where you get the most personal fulfillment, um, and then run with that. I think, you know, that, that's something I've learned a lot by being, um, on commissions and boards. Um, a couple other things I've learned is that, you know, when, when opportunity knocks, open the door, you don't have to invite them to dinner, but but at least open the door and hear what opportunity has to say. Uh, and so by that, I mean, um, you know, my path to being on Parks and Wildlife Commission started with me being on a board of a Friends of a National Park group, because uh, I loved going to that park and I became a, um, an, ad, an advocate for that park and I got on the board. And then uh, because of that, I ended up, end of my work in land conservation, being invited to be on a small committee um, to help, to help support. So, so never, you know, underestimate the, the power of small committees and small tasks for task force, you know, you might be involved in something locally in your town or at the state level or at the regional level. That's like, Hey, we just need someone to go spend six weeks and work with these divergent point of views and, and try to come up with recommendations for the council or the commission to move forward. Um, getting on those small task force or, or smaller committees that maybe only meet once or twice a year for a specific purpose uh, you don't have to jump right into being on, you know, a governor appointed board or, or something like that. You can certainly start with these smaller committees. So, you know, if those opportunities come up, op open the door and see what you think. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't have to uh, make a lifelong commitment. Um, and then the other thing I, I will say is that uh, one of the things that I've learned for me personally and professionally that's helped a lot by serving on boards and commissions or what I've learned from serving on boards and commissions is when you sit on a council or a commission or a board, you are provided information that you might otherwise not have. And so while other constituents and friends and neighbors and family might say, I can't believe you voted this way, or, you know, I see this topic is coming up in your organization and I can't believe, you know, I can't believe this is happening and you better, you better make make it go this direction or that direction or vote this way or that way. Um, but they don't have, they aren't spending the hours and they don't have the access to sometimes even confidential information, but certainly the, the depth and breadth of the information that you have to make some of these decisions. You know, Jana mentioned lion quotas. 
Um, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, I love mountain lions, they're cute, or oh, I hate mountain lions, they eat baby animals or you know, whatever. But unless you when you sit on those commissions, you have a chance to really go meet with the lion biologist and understand all of the different decision points and research that goes into those decisions. And your friend or your neighbor might, you know, they certainly they probably don't have the kind of information you have to make decisions. So I think personally and professionally, that's helped me when I interact with, um, with my family, with friends, just remembering that uh, someone else might have a little more information than you do, or you might have a little more information than they do. And you need to make the best decision you can for those that you serve, given the information you have at that time. We had a question along those lines too that I'll just throw out there as the, um, actually go ahead, Jana, and then I'll, I'll, I'll um, add that in. Oh, I, I'm just sitting here and squirming in my seat too. Um, just two points that sound super simple, but I've got them ingrained in my brain from, especially from nine, nine years of network television where, you know, you, you do, I would do a bear hunting show or something. And then, you know, you'd get 95% like great comments. Wow. I had no idea the, 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 the complex issues of predator management and how much bears affect, you know, elk calves, so to speak. But then you'd get those couple of comments that were just rude, crude name calling, you know, and getting thick skin, it, it, it happens over time, but to remember that you've got to have thick skin and, and, you know, I've been, I've had death threats, um, been called every name under the sun. And luckily, 12 years into this career, um, it, they usually just bounce right off. Now, once in a while, they'll sting a little bit, but you know, you got to have thick skin. And I think it's also important to remember that back to your original question to Michelle is what did you learn or what was the most growth is I feel like in my life in general, not just from this career or the commissioner position, but commissioner position, but the, the times I look back in my life that were the hardest and the most challenging or the scariest are the ones I grew the most out of. And I, I, I really do believe that we as individuals, as men and women, we grow the most in challenging or difficult situations more so than anything else. And, and that can help people when they're trying to decide if going onto a commission or a board or a, or a new job or anything that's a little scary is that the only way I think the main way I should say that I've achieved personal growth as a human being is definitely through the tougher times or through the more challenging roles that I've accepted. So the question um, that we, the audience question that we received too, and I think um, really plays into this is about um, the entry point and um, Michelle touched on this a little that you don't have to start on the top of, you know, the pinnacle on or being appointed by the governor. Um, but it was asking about um, entry point to affiliate or other conservation networks, such as the NWS affiliates, which was definitely my experience. I started with the Wyoming Wildlife Federation. Um, I don't know if anyone has thoughts on that too. Like, how do you how do you first get involved? Where where's the um, there's lots of entry points, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that too, taking your first step. Do you want me to take a first crack yes, at that? Sorry, okay. I left that I a little know. open. Yes, please. Ms. No, um, 
yeah, I'll, I'll kind of reiterate what I already said, but find something that you're interested in or passionate about, or that you want to broaden your knowledge of. It doesn't, you know, I happened to start because I liked this one park and I started volunteering and got really um, interested in it, but I have a lot of friends, you know, now I'm working on this cross of recreation and, and conservation more so by being on the IMBA board. So I have a lot of friends that are mountain bikers and I'm encouraging them to get involved with the local mountain bike organization um, and, and just, you know, go to those meetings and you don't have to be on the board of the local organization. You can just be a member and go to those meetings and see how they operate. And then you can say, hey, how do I get more involved? Are there board opportunities coming up? Um, but I would I would just say, you know, find the area Maybe it's early childhood ed education. Maybe it's, you know, all sorts of different things, but find the area that you're either most passionate about, interested in, because it does take side time. And so if you're not interested in it or passionate about it or curious, um, it's going to be hard to carve out those nights and weekends that it takes and the travel that it takes to, to be involved in some of these, um, some of these commitments. So make it, make it something you're interested in. Yes, Lily. Yeah, and I really liked um, what Michelle was saying earlier around like dabbling and really like listening to opportunities as they come because I heard about this um, board, you know, opportunity for myself when I was, you know, just getting into hunting. I was doing a lot of like fish and wildlife mentored hunts and that's when I got to, you know, know more people and um, even from like little conversations, you know, it turned into like more of friendship and then more of like learning about different organizations because I remember you know, just like going online and learning, okay, like I knew I wanted to do something in conservation and just like the amount of different organizations can be very overwhelming. So e even just showing up to events, listening to people, you know, having those conversations helps kind of like steer you in the right direction of things you may or may not be interested in. Great, thank you. And this is, I think a perfect segue into um, my question for you, Kathy which is what is your top suggestion for women taking the first step towards serving on a board or commission? It does flow nicely, Bree, from what we were just talking about. Um, when I first started getting involved with boards, um, I was um, a person who spent a lot of time out in the woods hunting and fly fishing on streams. And my passion was being in a place, these special places and having this opportunity that we had all around us in Montana and uncovering problems with our fish and wildlife populations and with the habitat. So I started researching organizations and I became a member, just a member, paid my 35 bucks for the Montana Wildlife Federation and started getting their newsletters. Um, and in my journey with that organization, what I discovered was they were the organization that was statewide that was seemed to me to be really concerned about the same issues that I was concerned about. So I started doing a lot of research to find out what is this organization? What do they do? What's their mission? How often do they meet? Those kind of things. And that's my first recommendation just to everybody today that if you are thinking about taking the first step, I would research the board or the commission or the local organization first. I think finding out what their mission is, is really important. Finding out things like how often they meet. Um, and not only that, but what is the time commitment? Because women are super women. They have 45 different jobs. 
and what it says, you know, when you read something, we meet four times a year, they forget to say, oh, but we have 54 Zoom conference calls and we expect you to go out helping us build fence on private landowners to improve landowner sportsman's relations. So you, you really got to sort of dig deep and find out what that time commitment is. Um, and, and once you do that, um, I found it helpful to reach out to current or past board members or commission members to sit down, have coffee with them and say, what was this like? What was your experience? You know me, what do you think I can contribute to that? But doing any type of networking that you can to try to figure out whether you would be a good fit. And after you've done all those things, I would ask yourself three questions. And the first one is, do you have a passion for this work? Because there's so many demands on your life, all of us at all life stages, I think you have to have a passion. I mean, we could hear the passion in Gloria today and in Jana today and Michelle and Lily when they talked about the work that they do and Bree. You've got to have a passion. If you don't have a passion, I would say don't do it. Then I would look to see if you, at whatever stage of life you are, do you actually have the time to put in? Because I think if you're really going to commit to it, you want to commit to be a good board member, you want to do your homework, you want to show up, you want to speak up, you want to step back. All of that takes a lot of energy. And in order to do that, you've got to have the time available. And then the third thing, I think, especially with nonprofits, are you willing to use your own personal and professional resources to help advance this organization that you're joining? because you're a board member and you have to look out for them and help them meet their mission. And if you answer yes to those three questions, I think it's a go. And if you don't, I would hold off until you, you get to a different place in your life if it's a time commitment or um, if it's not quite your passion. But, but to me, the overall thing I think that drives me is passion for fish and wildlife and for their habitats and for um, leaving the next generations, the next seven generations a place that we would be proud to leave them. And so that is what connects me to the organizations that I volunteer with. So that's a quick idea of what I was thinking about for this question, Bree. Kathy, thank you. That, not only is that super helpful that you um, made me tear up too, because I know how passionate you are about this and the work that you do. So thanks for sharing that. Um, Gloria, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I do. Um, I just wanted to <clears throat> thank Kathy for that. Um, I think that um, she hit it right on the nail. Um, you have to have a, a tremendous amount of commitment and belief in what you do and when you when you <clears throat> get into a position where you have a lot of influence on how things are going to go um, you have to believe in what you're doing um, and I think it's really important also to 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 take a look back at where you're coming from um, and for me personally, you know, in terms of conservation work and um, um, management of wildlife resources, a lot of it goes back to our families, our own individual um, 
uh, families and our our children, our grandchildren, and even uh, those that we haven't seen yet. Where where um, we you have to believe that what you're doing today is going to influence tomorrow and beyond, and just having that realization and that commitment. Um, it really helps. It really helps you to to sort of define, you know, what your purpose is and how best to serve that purpose. Thank you. Thank you, Gloria, as always. That's really appreciated. Does anyone else want to jump in on this? And I also just want to mention to our audience, if you have any questions, um, please feel free to drop them in the chat or in the Q&A function and I will, um, I will help facilitate that. If no one else wants to jump in, I do have um, another question that I would like to pose and, and I'll start with Lily if you don't mind. Um, I'd love to hear, we've talked a lot about um, all of the commitments that we all have and, and Kathy mentioned that we're all super women and take on probably more than we should um, a lot of times, but how are you balancing your board service um, with your other commitments, with your career? Um, can you just talk about that a bit more? Yeah, um, it's hard, you know, cause I feel, you know, there's just limited time of the day. I wanna do everything and, um, what it comes down to me, you know, for me personally is, you know, ruthless prioritizing. And I find that, you know, I'm most effective when I have a lot going on because it forces me to think about like, what is the most important thing I need to get done today, this week, this quarter um, to really drive results. And I feel like, cause I'm a little neurotic um, <laughs> when I don't have that going on, you know, I, I, my brain just like, like thinks about, you know, all sorts of like little things that don't really matter. So I actually find that the busier I am, the more I prioritize, you know, the, the better results I drive. Um, and that's really like going to what like Gloria was talking about, about looking deep within and figuring out what's important to me. I hope yeah. that answers it. <laughs> it does. Jana, did you want to jump in? Um, I think everybody, it's important to remember too, everybody's personalities are so different, but for me, um, I, I like, I like how you started that Lily about like, <sighs> like with a big breath and like, it's hard and it is, it really is hard. And for me, I've just come through season setting, which was the most stressful few weeks of, I think of my life that I can even remember because I do have a full-time job. And then this is definitely a full-time job and balancing it all that and how I'm just getting through it right now. Cause I'm still feel, I still feel like I'm kind of swimming through the, the mucky swamp and trying to figure it all out is to just feel like sometimes I just have to say, I just have to get through this day. Like I've got, you know, everything in my calendar. I'm as organized as I can be, which is, eh, I wouldn't say I'm a queen organizer in terms of I but I, but one of my strengths I feel is going with the flow I travel tons and when you travel you just there's so many circumstances that are just out of your control whether it's a flight that got canceled or a meeting that got moved or and so I think going into things knowing that you just do the best that you can some days are going to be crazy some weeks are going to be crazier than others where you're balancing it and telling yourself to just 
you know, de-stress as best as you can, but just to me, it's just get through this one day. And then I can, at the end of the day, kind of take a look at what the next few days or the week hold for me and manage them. But while you're in those moments of drowning, of just figuring out, okay, what do I have to do? Like you said, focusing maybe on the, the critical few and not the tedious many to get through the day and to move forward because keeping them, keeping the idea that it's not always that feeling of being buried. I mean, even whether if you don't work at all and you're a mom of three kids, like, you know, we all have the challenges and days that are going to seem so overwhelming, but just focusing on that day at hand to then get you down the road has been really good advice that I received. Thanks for that, Jana. Um, Michelle, I think you wanted to jump yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, Gloria, that was, that was beautifully stated. I, um, I want to just kind of build on what and on one of the things you had mentioned about when you are in a position of influence and it, it's it's really it's helpful to remember that yes we're doing a lot of things and we may be drowning and we need to prioritize and I'm with you Lily. that I find that the busier I am the more the, the happier I am the more fulfilled I am the more effective I am to a certain degree um but remembering that that part of being a part of these decisions and 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 directions and visions, um, it does have a lot of influence and it does make a lasting impact. And part of being a working younger-ish female on some of these influential boards and commissions, like for me, Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission, which is governor appointed, when I joined the commission, it was still largely, um, just gonna say it, retired white guys. That was kind of how these commissions and boards were made because as a governor, you're typically a, a you know mature white male and um, <laughs> and you're gonna you know you're gonna appoint the people that you know who are also mature white males. but showing that we can contribute and then we can show up, we can be present, we can bring a really important perspective um, and participate on these commissions, at least in Colorado has been showing governors and, and legislators that, um, two things. One, that we should be appointing also younger folks that are of in in their working you know their career with careers, working full time, um, that also want to contribute their perspective. And two, that maybe some of these boards and commissions should be paid. Um, we've in Colorado, we've had two commissions, and unfortunately not CPW yet, but two other commissions that went from being volunteer to being paid positions. And and that's partly um, that the governor's office is realizing that wow, more and more young people with full-time jobs and careers and, and families and other, um, other commitments really need to be at the, at the table and be contributing and they want to and they can. How do we make it more, um, how do we make it easier for them to contribute and to help shape our future, whether it's at the state or the local or the regional or the national level? I just find myself nodding with everything everyone keeps saying. Um, Gloria, can you also, you want to add something? Yeah, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, multitasking, trying to balance everything out with your real job and all of these other side initiatives uh, like board participation, um, you really have to have a really strong support mechanism. Um, you know, whether, whether it's family, whether it's with your work, um, having that support is really essential. And um, I think it's really critical. 
Um, and sometimes we, we, we tend to forget that, um, especially when you get so knee deep and stuff and you, you just want to, you know, move forward and trudge forward and, and try to do what you can. But to me, it's really important to always recognize that you have that um, support at home and at work. I just wanted to add that. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, that really goes to an audience question too that um, asked about how you keep heart when you feel like you're maybe a lone voice or you feel like you aren't making a difference or maybe overshadowed. Um, could you, do you want to speak to that a little too, Gloria? Would you? Yeah, I and I think it goes back to um, just your overall uh, commitment and passion for what you do. Um, even if your if your um, uh, recommendations and your perspectives aren't being recognized, you still, to me, you still have uh, a, a responsibility to bring that forward. Even though you know you're not getting what you want out of it, you're still contributing to the perspective, you're still contributing to the knowledge that people have. And you might not get what you want in terms of the, the outcome, but even if you're just reaching maybe one or two people and educating them on what you're, what you're trying to bring forward, um, that's good enough in my opinion. Um, if you don't uh, uh, succeed in, in, in getting something to go your way, you know, don't, don't stop, just keep, keep, keep pushing, keep moving forward. And hopefully someday it'll, it'll change. Thank you for that. Thank you for that advice. Um, we also had a question in the chat about uh, conflicts of interest. And especially when um, you're working in the same field potentially as, uh, as the board that you're on. I wonder if Michelle, would you be willing to to speak to that and then anyone else, of course. Sure, um, yeah, I also just got appointed to the Colorado Electric Transmission Authority Board and I uh, work in solar renewable energy and energy development. So, um, and I'm on that board to bring the wildlife and conservation and land use perspective to that board. So yes, um, it, is, it is critical to keep those conflicts of interest in mind, but a lot of times you're, you're on that board because your career focus brings knowledge and perspective that perhaps others don't have. So I might recommend something for from a wildlife or natural resource land use perspective, but it's educated by my knowledge and awareness of how energy development or energy transmission works. So I think it's helpful. And um, I, think it, I think it's really helpful because if, if you find that something you're doing in your career can help that knowledge, that specific knowledge, whether it's marketing or you know whatever it may be, can help contribute to what this board or this organization is, is trying to solve or, or vision, um, it can be really helpful. I think it helps to say it out loud, say what the conflict is out loud to maybe the other board members or at least the director of the organization or agency. So they can help you navigate it or give you, a, you know, an ear tug when you're um, maybe muddying those waters. Yes, Kathy. Um, Many of the nonprofit boards that I've served on have a conflict of interest policy, usually in their board manuals <laughs> or something. And, and some of them actually ask you to fill out a conflict of interest 
statement every year as an annual uh, event, I guess. And um, some people think that you have to have money involved or some type of financial or a business issue for a conflict of interest. I'm not sure that's true when it comes to policy, public policy work. Um, but anyway, I find that if the boards has a conflict of interest policy, that's very helpful. It informs all board members what their fellow board members' conflicts potentially could be. And if you're a board member and you feel like you're in shaky area, you always have the right to step back from the conversation or the decision as a board member. Um, and I think people would respect that. Yeah, that's great advice. As, as both of you were speaking, I was thinking um, that it's best to be transparent when there's conflicts of interest potentially involved and um, disclosing it and that you can always recuse yourself. So those were my thoughts as well. Thank you. Thank you for sharing those. So we're coming on to the last few minutes of our time, and I know um, we want to be respectful of everyone's schedules. Uh, would anyone like to say anything um, in closing? Any final thoughts from any of our panelists? Please feel free to just jump in. I'll just start by sharing my gratitude to everybody for taking the time today. I have learned a lot just in the last hour and really appreciate you all serving on this panel. Appreciate everybody who's attended today and for your support and work with Artemis and the National Wildlife Federation. We are so grateful to have you as part of this network. And um, I guess I will just close by reminding you of the title of this panel, which is, yes, you do have what it takes. Um, and it's true, you do, each of us does. And um, we're so looking forward to um, meeting you in person sometime soon. Wonderful, Thanks, thank everyone. you. Yeah, thank you to all the panelists so much. This is amazing. And I appreciate your time and your input. And Brie, thank you for some amazing facilitation. Um, okay, so that wraps up our morning. Um, if you're, you know, we had a couple questions that I, uh, that I wanted to address about how we stay in touch. And one of the tools that Artemis uses to, uh, to have conversation and maintain connection is a Slack channel. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's, a, it's, an, it's another app that you can download on your phone. Um, and it allows for, uh, for kind of instant messaging communications. And Artemis has a Turkey Tactic Slack channel, we have a Whitetail Slack channel, and we will have a leadership Slack channel. Um, and I'll send out an invite to everybody. So if that's something you wanna take advantage of, uh, you're welcome to, and um, it will be a nice mix of experiences and expertise and, and opportunities in there as well to continue the conversation. Um, Again, thank you for joining us for this morning. If you're joining us for step two, uh, which is called staying there, you're on a board, so now what? Um, we will see you at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, if you are done for the day, we do have a post-event survey that we would be deeply grateful if you filled out to let us know what you thought of this morning session um, and what we can do to make it better for next time. So I'm gonna drop that in the chat and I will also email it out. Um, so if you don't have time to complete it now, uh, you can do it uh, when you do have a chance. Uh, thank you. Thank you all for a wonderful morning. Um, and I look forward to 
seeing some of you in step two, and I look forward to interacting with all of you in next steps as we continue our program for, for women's leadership. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you.